The sun is shining in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello again, everybody. This is Harry Carey. That's the most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. Live. Brian sends one to deep left. Way back. It is gone. A three-run homer. In the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was. It's the T.C. Martin Show. to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back to my feet. It could be. Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. Holy cow. Look at the left fielder. He has the ball yet. He has not won. And here comes the Cubs out on the field. is now in. Thursday it is. Working our way towards the weekend. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you. Nunchuck here on the other side of the glass, pushing some of the buttons right some of the time. There you go. Well, yeah, to be determined on that one. Fight weekend coming up Saturday night. Manny Pacquiao, your Dennis Ugas T-Mobile Arena. Be talking about that, uh, especially tomorrow. Al Bernstein is going to join us tomorrow. Appreciate Tim Bradley joining us yesterday. You can check all that out on the website. But today we uh, talk baseball, football, and a whole lot more. And a little wrestling as RVD will be joining us. I know there's a lot of wrestling fans out there. SummerSlam. Same day, same time as the fight. How about that? So SummerSlam at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, you have to have a mask, but you don't have to be vaccinated to get in. And then, of course, Saturday night at T-Mobile Arena, it's Pacquiao and Yugas. Yes, there's also a UFC card over at the Apex Centers. Uh, that's uh, a fight night. Uh, my buddy Clay Guida, co-main event on that card, so I'm looking forward to that as well. So when you say fight weekend, there's all sorts of fights. There's <laughs> there's the boxing, there's the MMA, there's the choreographed but, <laughs> but you know but it's all but it's all good and it's you know it's uh, it, it, it's it's interesting to truly showing that vegas is still regardless of what anybody wants to say or think the fight capital of well, the there's world. no question about that and you you know where else uh, there's some fighting going on over there in uh, los angeles between the raiders and the rams during their preseason practices that they had yesterday and today and uh, you know, yesterday we heard that uh, Jalen Ramsey took a little cheap shot at Josh Jacobs. Uh, today we hear that John Gruden was very disgusted because an all-out brawl occurred during practice there today. And guess who started it? Of course, a couple special teamers. And you understand, I mean, special teamers, these guys are, are fighting for jobs. You know, probably the only way that these guys are going to be able to get contracts in the NFL if, if you can play special teams and you play it well. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we see so many penalties on special teams, not just, you know, the preseason, but, you know, that carries over the regular season as well, too. Because, again, every year you have probably, I would say, six or seven different special team guys and so there's no continuity whatsoever. And again, it's like, okay, well, we drafted this guy as a running back. We drafted this guy as a defensive back. Probably not going to make it. We're, we're, we're pretty deep at cornerback. You know, we'd like to have you around, but uh, you're going to have to be, you know, w- working on the punt coverage or, you know, kickoff return. And if you can, uh, you know, you know, do your job there, eh, maybe we'll keep you on the 53-man roster. And some of these guys have never played special teams before because they've been stars where they were or whatever. 100%. So, yeah. you know, there's there's a lot of that. They also keep on changing the rules on special teams. You can't use the wedge anymore. You can't do this. You can't. Because, let's face it, in a lot of ways, they're trying to eliminate the kickoff and other things because of the CTE and other lawsuits and things going on. So, you know, it, it's... But you mentioned that, you know, these guys are getting into fights in the, in, in the mini camps and in these other practices, especially when they're practicing with the other teams. Well, if you are trying to make a team and you're not sure that the coach even knows your name, you get in a fight on the field, all of a sudden at least they know your name. Might be in a negative connotation, but maybe things work out for you. Maybe they don't. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it's a tough way to try to make a living, especially if you've never done it. 
And you're right. I mean, special teams, you know, how often do you see a big play on special teams and the first thing you look for is, are there any flags on the play? And how often do the announcers go, and he goes 86 yards, but wait, you know what's coming next. (laughs) It's coming back. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, that's the reason why. I mean, you have a lot of sloppiness on, on special teams. And, you know, you would always usually have it. I shouldn't say always usually, but I would say a good amount of the time you would have it on kickoff returns. And now pretty much that's been abolished because, you know, they're kicking the ball in the end zone. And yeah, you can't even fair catch it when it doesn't go there. Right, right. And that's it's ridiculous. So, you know, if you want to get rid of the kickoff, then just get rid of the kickoff. Don't keep on faking like you're trying not to. It's like just make the call or don't make the call. And that's the thing with the NFL that has bothered me for a lot of years, that they're always tweaking with things. I mean, going way back when, you know, whatever, in the last, remember, 10, 15 years ago, it's like, hey, you know, we want to encourage more run back, so let's move it back to the 30-yard line. And then it's like, well, you know, this, let's move it up five yards. Let's move it up to the 40. Oh, now let's bring it back to the 35. It's just like, remember it fluctuated from the 40 to the 35 and the 30 for several seasons because they couldn't make up their mind exactly what they wanted. And then now all of a sudden, you know, they want to you know protect the players more. So it's like, okay, let's just, you know, change the rules. Where Now you can't get that running start. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, you, you can't use the wedge blocking and right. stuff. They change stuff all the time. Yeah. And like you said, they are constantly tweaking. The extra point used to just be like, hey, it's an automatic, you know, a touchdown seven points. Mm-hmm. Well, but, you know, nobody's missing them at all, so now we've got to move it back. And in some ways I applaud the tweaking if, if they think it's going to improve the game and that. But the kickoff is one thing. They've basically come right out and said, we don't want this to be part of the game anymore. But too many people are upset if we take it out. So let's just make it so that uh, we'll move it up and then everybody can get a – If unless your kicker absolutely is horrible – you can have a touchback basically every time you want one. Yeah. And the thing is, too, how many times have we seen the NFL say, well, we're going to experiment with this rule for one season? I mean, it's just nonsense. I mean, your, your game is good, and I understand you may, may have to make some tweaks and adjustments because players are faster, bigger, stronger. Okay, I get that. But, again, if you want to clean things up, forget this moving the extra point back and, and where we're going to kick off from and that sort of thing and, and the onside kick totally ridiculous i mean you have taken all of the drama out of the onside kick now and that would be an exciting play i mean for a team that's down and you know whatever it is like say eight nine points it's like okay hey let's kick that field goal now because now we can you know maybe get the ball back if we have a successful onside kick well now that changes your thought process as well now because you're not getting the onside kick back because you're not allowed to you know uh, move until the kicker Kicks the ball. Yeah, everybody on the line, no running start, and right. you can't move into the ball. Yeah, yeah. R- ridiculous. You know? And then again, you're, you're kind of limited on you know, how many guys now you can have on each side of the kicker. Yep. You know, it has to yeah, be because balanced. You, yeah, you'd see the stacked side. And so, well, yeah. I know where this is going because but why? everybody's over here. Why? Because the injuries. Well, we, if you flood that side, and then you're going to have potentially you know, you know, 10, 11 guys or 9, 10 guys all coming to the same. Well, that's football. Plain and simple. They still do have pads. You know, I mean, just it's 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 crazy in the logic that they're thinking here. Okay, same thing. You know, with with, with the punt return, exactly the same thing with that. You know, uh, the halo rule. Okay, I can I can go with the halo rule where, you know, within you know two or three yards, you don't want a guy getting blasted. I get that, but really, how do you gauge two yards? You know, in when it happens like that, and we see guys that that bypassed the punter, now he's behind the guy. And it just, again, there's a lot of inconsistencies in judgment, too. How about when a guy gets blocked into the returner or something like that, and then they're trying to figure out, well, what was it? But you know what actually drives, and and this isn't a rule thing, but I don't know about you, but the thing that drives me absolutely insane when I'm watching a punt is when I see guys and they constantly let the ball hit the ground instead of making a fair catch. And the team always loses 15 to 20 yards. You have the halo rule. You, th- you have the fair catch, so they're not right. going to hit you. And if they do, you're going to get more out of it. Catch the damn ball. Yeah. I, I don't. You have one. Ju- you are the punt returner. You know, sometimes just ca- a fair catch can actually gain you a lot of yards if it doesn't bounce and go back 15 or 20 yeah. yards. And I, I don't know why the Bears, maybe they only draft guys that don't know how to catch the ball with a fair catch, but they do that constantly, and it – I am screen. I'm sure my neighbors think there's some kind of psycho in the, you know, 
the the place around him, which they might be right well, about. I was say, what but, do you mean? Think? Are you I mean, crazy? Yeah, they, but they don't really know me well enough to make that determination. <laughs> but yeah, it, that drives me crazy. Yeah, no, there's a lot of things that just drive you crazy, and we love the game. There's no question about it. But and if, if we're going to continue talking about stuff like that, that drives us crazy in an NFL game. How about let's let's drop the flag, but then let's convene for about maybe. 30, 60 seconds, and let's pick up the flag when we're all said and done. If you thought there was a penalty, then there's a penalty, right? You only throw the flag if you are 100% sure it was a penalty. Not like, uh uh-oh, I think that's a penalty. Let me throw the flag, and then let's talk it over. No! You have to be sure that it's a penalty. If you're not sure, you let the play go. That's what the officials are taught. You know, because you want to get it right. And number two is you don't want to slow the game down. So make sure if you think there's a block in the back, you make sure it's a block in the back, you throw it. It's like, is it maybe a block in the back? I need some help. Let me throw it. Let's talk it over. Well, in this day and age, like you said, how officials are taught things. Nowadays, if you're not sure, you throw the flag and you throw somebody out of a game for targeting. And then sometimes you'll hear official going, well, I didn't think it was, but if I don't call targeting, we can't review that. But if I do call it, then they can review that. So um, they're making calls that they don't even think actually happened just so the review people can then make the call officially when they super slow-mo it where everything looks 100 times worse all the time. If, if you saw targeting, then call targeting. If you saw pass interference on it, call pass interference. If you saw it's just the nature of the game and that's the way it happened, then call that. But we literally have guys now throwing flags because they're like, I don't really know what I saw. So let's take a little break here, you know, get a couple quarters, go in the booth, check out what's on, and, uh, you know, we'll uh, take a, you know, get a cup of coffee or maybe some hot chocolate in the colder climates and, uh, you know, delay the game a little while so they can call what I what I'm not sure that I saw. Yeah, overthinking it really, and we're seeing it in all sports. We've seen it in the NBA with basketball. We've seen it in Major League Baseball as well too, and the NFL, in my opinion, it, it leads it leads all sports as far as you know changing the rules, uh, really trying to um, utilize replay more. And see, I'm a guy that I don't mind replay. Because for me, because of what we just talked about, officials not being able to make up their mind and, and making some bonehead calls, I'm fine with getting the right call. And I don't care if it takes a couple extra minutes. That's fine. I'm not going anywhere on Sunday. Plain and simple, okay? I got three and a half hours for the morning games. I got three and a half hours you know, for the afternoon game, the Sunday night game. I'm fine. If it's, if it's going to take an extra 30 seconds or 60 seconds to make sure they have the right call, I'm fine with that. I really am fine with that. Should it's- there be a clock on it, though? Should there be a certain amount of time? or do Because, and again, I know I've said this before, mm-hmm. but the one thing that always drives me crazy, well, another thing, obviously, that drives me crazy, when you're, they show the replay on TV and they go, there's the definitive angle, and then, and they're going to take a look at a couple other angles. Why? If you have the definitive angle then make the call and play the game. You don't have to look at six angles if one is absolutely 100% clear. See, I don't think you need to put a clock on that because that just adds another element for you know people complaining and pressure on the officials because here's the deal. You just said it right there. You have so many angles. You have so many cameras that it doesn't take you that long. It shouldn't take you that long to review it because... It really takes the guessing game out of it. And as long as you have in there beyond, you know, not beyond reasonable doubt, because that, that's the courtroom, but, you know, it, 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 you know, basically has to be, you know, blatant evidence. Yeah, inconclusive, Incon- conclusive, yeah, conclusive evidence. Conclusive yeah. evidence, yeah, to, yeah. To, over, to overturn a call or whatever. Otherwise, the play stays as called. But on you the have field. so many different camera angles, and then you have the ability to piece it all together, and then now you've got help, you know, you know, back at corporate headquarters, along with the official, with the referee on the field. So I think that it doesn't need to take that much time anyway, and they're already conscious about we don't want it to take so much time. So because you have technology, I don't think you need to add a clock. Because for the most part, they get it done. Now, if you need to review it four and five times, I'm fine with that. You know, if it takes, you know, six or seven times. But for the most part, we get a review done within about a minute and a half for the most part, sometimes two minutes. Yeah, sometimes it seems longer than that. But again, it does. it's also especially when you have multiple times you're doing yeah. it, you know. And, and you mentioned, too, before of, you know, that, uh, you know, that football maybe seems to be the worst one at it and that of doing it. I think that's easily explained. 
football has more officials than anybody else out there. So there's a lot more people that can make a call that then have to be reviewed or overviewed. And, and then sometimes you get an official, the guy in front of the play saw it this way, the guy behind the play, who a lot of times shouldn't even be throwing the flag or having anything to do with it. He's got to throw in his two cents. And then you have the little committee and the convention and what they're talking about and everything. And then they go to the replay booth and then they go to a commercial break and then they come back and they're still looking at another view of it. Oh, and now, okay, now they've overturned the play, but now we have to see where the clock was at that time. And now we, it's like, oh my Lord, play the game. But, But aren't you okay with it as long as they get the right call? I mean, because a lot of people say, hey, just forget replay altogether because it takes too much time. I was okay with it when it first came out. I think that there's too many times where it takes too long and they still don't get the right call. And that's what drives me crazy. If you're going to have replay and the call is obvious and you still don't overturn it or you still don't get it right, then I have a problem. And I just see too many times when they still don't get it right even with replay and it's like, well, what the hell is the point? Or especially on tackles on that. Okay, this is a spearing or this is a targeting tackle. And then the exact same play happens 30 minutes later in the game in the th- third quarter or something like that. And all of a sudden, oh, that's a perfect form tackle. They need to teach this. It's the same thing you just threw a guy out of the game for. And then you have the, all the arguments of the running back or receiver ducks his head into the guy in that. That's just, it, and it, it, it's a fast-paced game. These guys are huge. They're incredibly quick. You know, and again, when they slow everything down, it always looks worse. But I just, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I, I knew what was going on in every game. Now I wonder if I ever saw a game where the right team ended winning the game or something like that because I, I don't know what they would have done with today's rules. Well, we know one thing: it, re- replay is never going away right now because you could. Can you imagine if they took replay away, like some people are advocating? You can with social media and everything else and again all of these television angles and then you know you know on sports center the highlight shows afterwards no i mean you have to have replay oh, replay it's only is get- never going away and and i'm totally fine with that again if you need assistance in making the right call utilize replay and you've set yourself up beautifully with the number of cameras the high definition on 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 all the cameras yeah i'm I, I'm okay with it. But I, I, it's, just, I, it's the rules that drive me nuts more than the replays. The I rules. think it's actually going to expand. I mean, how long before we have the home plate umpire just sitting back there and saying, what does the strike zone call for? And what are, what are they? I mean, are, are you cool with that? Are you comfortable with that? That the little, you know, the box is going to be calling balls and strikes? Because it no. sure seems like that's going to happen someday. Yeah, that, that's a little bit different. I mean, when you're, when you're relying on technology 100% to actually – you know, supplant an official, and that's what you're talking about with Major League Baseball, having a beep go off or whatever, and, you know, yeah, I, I don't want that. I, I, I don't, don't want, want it either, but we'll yeah. hear it all the time, and whenever there's a big hit in a game or when somebody, oh, it's a 3-2 count and the bases were loaded, oh, this was clearly a strike, and they called it a ball, and he walked in the winning run. ESPN and Fox Sports and everything else, they're all over it, and then the umpire's like, he blew that call. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, football. Uh, this is a story we didn't get a chance to get to in, in the last couple of days. Got some thoughts on it. And that is, you know, Tim Tebow got cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, you know, he signed a one year contract back on May the 20th. Uh, he played 16 snaps in Jacksonville's preseason game last Saturday night. He was only targeted one time. We know Tim Tebow has been playing tight end. And, you know, Urban Meyer, you know, loves Tim Tebow, obviously coached him at, at the University of Florida as a quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner. And, you know, Tebow gave up football to because basically he felt he was blackballed, was not going to be able to get a job in the NFL, uh, you know, to play quarterback. And let's remember, I mean, Tim Tebow was drafted 25th overall by the Denver Broncos in 2010. And in 2011, he went 7-4 and four as a starter. And a lot of people scoffed at that. He had 12 touchdown passes, six interceptions. But by today's you know, comparison to what we see with a lot of these quarterbacks today, that wasn't so bad. And you know, he did lead the Denver Broncos to a playoff win as well. Over Pittsburgh in yeah. the Mile High Miracle. There you go. So, you know, and then Denver signed Peyton Manning, and then basically that was the end of Tim Tebow the following year. He got traded to the Jets, and you know, it was the Jets. Uh, they uh they he got cut. Then he got signed by the Eagles in 2015. That didn't last. He got cut. And he said, okay, no one's going to give me a shot here to play quarterback. I thought I was pretty good at it, which I think he was. Like I said, in comparison to a lot of the guys that got to keep their jobs, so he decided to try baseball. That never works. It didn't work for Michael Jordan. It didn't work for Tim Tebow. And to play baseball, like just about every sport, you need to play 
you know, since you're eight, nine years old, plain and simple. And especially at a high level, especially at the major league level. So I always thought it was very hard uh, to imagine that no one would give Tim Tebow a shot after his time in Denver. And I mean a legitimate shot because I firmly believe that he was better than some of the quarterbacks in the league. So when he came back this year and he wanted to play tight end, you know, Urban Meyer kind of painted it like, hey, well, you know, you know, he's a great athlete, he's a great locker room guy and all that stuff. And he said that, but then at the end, you know, here uh, a few days ago, he says, you know, just Tim couldn't pick up the blocking schemes. Well, of course not. He's never played tight end before. And there was a lot of people that putting pressure on Urban Meyer in the league saying, you know, you've got all these other great tight ends that played in high school, all conference guys, and they're not going to get a shot. Tim Tebow could be taking away a position. You know, there's some truth to that. But the bottom line is, Tim Tebow's a quarterback, could have still played quarterback, and I'm not saying maybe at this point in time right now, 35 years old, but it's just too bad for one of the guys who was a fantastic college quarterback and a pretty good NFL quarterback that he didn't get a, you know, a full shot. After his time in Denver. I mean, I'm not a big Tim Tebow fan at quarterback in the NFL, um, but I never understood all the hatred about it. I never understood how people didn't like somebody because he wasn't controversial and going out and drinking and getting in accidents and fights at 3 o'clock in the morning or something like that. Um, I did think it was interesting. I saw an interview with Urban Meyer talking about Tim Tebow. And he said, look, with where Tim was basically on the depth chart, and that's why I always question, oh, he's taking somebody's spot. No, he's only taking a spot if he makes the team. And if he makes the team, he's not taking a spot. Then he made the team. Urban Meyer didn't guarantee him a spot. He gave him an opportunity. Like you said, he said he wasn't picking up the blocking schemes. But one thing that Urban Meyer said because of where Tebow was on the depth chart, which is about as low as you can get to even still have a, a shot at it, he said, when you're in that position – you can make 10 great plays, but the one bad one's going to get you cut. You can't afford any bad plays in that position because that's what shows up on the film and that's what people look at. They don't have time to coach people. It's not like in college where you have 120 players in the practice squad and everything else out there. He basically said Tim looked good sometimes, but he didn't pick it up quick enough and he made too many mistakes. So he's gone. He gave him an opportunity. And I kind of like that honesty about it because I was wondering myself, it's like, because I know how much he likes Tim Tebow. And he said what a great competitor he is. But being a competitor doesn't do any good if you don't know the fundamentals and you can't do stuff. So he gave Tebow a shot. I wouldn't surprise to see him go back in the booth now and, and talk some football again with yeah. the SEC or somebody else or whatever. But. Um, yeah, you know, uh, he was a long shot to make the team, and he didn't make it. But Urban Meyer did give him an opportunity, but he was never taking anybody's job. If he was going to make that team, he was going to have to earn it. Yeah, and at the tight end position with Jacksonville, they had five guys that were in camp, and, and you know, he had James O'Shaughnessy. He had 88 career catches, you know, in six years. Uh, you had Luke Farrell, who was a fifth-round draft pick. Ben uh, Ellefson was a undrafted free agent, uh, you know, last year. Tyler Davis with a six-round pick. I mean, so legitimately on on paper, he had a shot maybe to make the team. But, again, he hadn't played that position. I would have much rather, especially in Jacksonville, especially with their quarterback situation, just have him suit up and go to camp as a quarterback. And, again, give him some reps, do that sort of thing, and let him battle for a backup. Again, it's not like you have a you know great quarterbacks there in Jacksonville. Sure, I understand you know you do Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence is not going to be a very good quarterback immediately. He might it's, not start it, exactly. It could I'm, be Gordon Minshew exactly. And I'm telling you right now. Well, it's hard to say right now because Tim Tebow played baseball for the last you know six years, but you know Tim Tebow has a probably a better mind frame and skill set you know as an NFL quarterback than Trevor Lawrence does right now doesn't mean that Trevor Lawrence won't be a good NFL quarterback down the road, but right now he is struggling mightily because the speed of the game is different. He was injured quite a bit at Clemson as well, too. He's getting thrown to a fire because he doesn't have a very good offensive line, a very good teammate. So, again, you've got to put people in positions where they could potentially succeed, and you're not putting Tim Tebow in that position to succeed as a tight end that's all i'm saying but i want to throw something at you that you just brought up there and i don't want to take it completely in a detour but you said that lawrence is you know he's struggling out with the speed of the game and other things 
Were you surprised last week after the Bears game that Justin Fields said he was actually surprised that the speed of the game wasn't that much, that he actually didn't think it was as much even in college at Ohio State? Because <laughs> you never hear a rookie quarterback say that. Well, I, the reason why he said that was, look who they were playing against. And a lot of these teams in preseason will go very, very vanilla. Unlike what the Raiders saw with the Seahawks last week, Seahawks were bringing their blitzes. Yeah. They were basically they're one of those few teams, but the Bears' opponent last week, you know, they they were basically making it kind of vanilla. And Justin Fields should watch out what he says. And, and that's what I'm you saying. Know, yeah. As soon as I saw that, tell I'm me like, that in four weeks. I'm like, why are you putting a bigger target on your back? Yeah, well. you, you, Andy Dalton's already the starting quarterback. You're not going to start, and I don't want him to start being a Bears yeah. fan. But why would you go, yeah, to be honest with you, I was surprised. Yeah. It wasn't really that Shut fast at all. And Again, I'm like, this... dude, you played in the Big Ten. That's not a speed conference. <laughs> and now you're saying the NFL wasn't as fast? Please, do you and us a favor and keep your mouth shut and just look at the playbook. Dan Campbell, our guy for the Detroit Lions, uh, he had a, a press conference again today, and we're going to play his sound from this. But he's in a, in a tough position. You know, Dan Campbell's great for the sound bites. They say he's great for his X's and O's. But now comes time to cut people in his first training camp as a head coach. He had to cut a longtime Detroit Lion, Dan Muehlbach. Now, several things with this, this situation here. Number one is, Muehlbach has been with the Lions for 17 years. Number two, he was a huge fan favorite. He was the long snapper. And he's a very good one. He was a two-time Pro Bowler. Which and, in Detroit means a lot. And Dan Campbell <laughs> had to cut him. And he had to cut him on his 40th birthday. Wow. Yeah, real sad, right? And here is one more point that made it difficult for Dan Campbell to do that. Fan favorite. 40-year-old uh, you know, turns 40 on his birthday, taking his job away from him. 17 years with the organization. Oh, and by the way, Dan Campbell's former teammate. One of his best friends, and he had to cut him. I, I thought you were going to tell me it was his son-in-law or something like <laughs> Pretty that. Pretty close, but, right? Know, but yeah, but yeah they, 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 they were brothers on the gridiron. Yeah. Here's Dan Campbell in addressing this. Well, I, look, I was fortunate to get, I did get 12 weeks of it in Miami. So I had already had a bit of a taste of it. And really during the hardest time of the year, which was the season. So... I kind of knew a little bit of what I was walking into. Um, now, what I didn't ever have to worry about necessarily was what's coming down the wire and what had to transpire a couple of days ago. Um, you know, when you have to start letting players go that have just given their heart and soul to everything, that's hard, you know. And, and for me, um, I can take things personal at times. If I'm being honest with you, it does. It digs on me a little bit, and uh, I hate it because I was in that locker room and I played. And I know when you see these guys who literally do give everything they have, um, and you got to let them go or you got to make these decisions. It's, it's tough. It's real tough because I appreciate them, um, but it is what it is. I, no doubt. No, there's no way to sugarcoat that. You know. I'm an asshole, so there's, that's about the best way to put it, and I hate it. No, it is, but it's there's no way to, you know, there was no way around it, really. I mean, yeah, you could say there is, but ultimately that falls on me. It's my fault, and uh, Don's a hell of a dude, and, you know, that's it sucks, but it is what it is. There was a number of moves, like with Nick that was coming down the wire to get him back from COVID reserve and the linebacker and then the quarterback because of where we were at there. And it just, once again, it's putting a strain and you're looking for that spot and unfortunately it has to be on his birthday and it stinks. There he is, Dan Campbell, uh, knowing he stepped into a tough job and uh, basically uh, pointing the finger at himself, said, hey, you know, I've got to be... Uh, I've got to be that guy. But yeah, that, that, that's got to be tough. The toughest part. And no coach, no coach likes to go through that. That's the worst part of the job is letting people go. But especially a guy like this in his first season who's still very, very close you know, to these players. And I'm not trying to look at the bright side of things because that's really not my role in life. But um, I will say this. I mean, at least if you're going to get cut, after 17 years, you got a pretty nice pension and some other things going yeah. for you. So I almost feel worse for the rookie who's trying to make the team who's never been in the NFL yeah. and that. Now he's got to decide where am I going or something. So, you know, at least he cut a guy that's been around for a while. But, yeah, it, it's very tough. And I hope that since it was his birthday and that he at least bought him a tall coffee or something <laughs> since he drinks like a gallon of it every morning before he comes to practice. What are you talking about? There would have been a big cake there. I mean, 17 years with the organization, 40th birthday. 
There should have been a party for this guy. Yeah, but but if you have a cake for somebody, they go, oh, you remember my birthday? And they go, no, this is your retirement party. Yeah. It kind of puts a damper on it, doesn't it? It does, but you know what? <laughs> we'll make you feel better at the end of the night, okay? You know, here's your pension. This is your last job, as you know. He's probably, you're not going to latch on with anybody else at 40 years old. Couldn't so. he have waited till the second cuts mm. since it was his birthday? I mean, was there somebody else that he, you know is going to get cut next time and go, oh, let's keep him around for one more because I don't want to ruin his birthday. <laughs> can't do it, man. You can't do it. My he point could've. is, I mean, he's a long snapper. So the guy you're going to replace him with, yeah, is going to be a younger guy. Are you going to get more out of that younger guy to play maybe another position or do something else? Probably not. So your long snapper, and this is a tradition with the NFL, that the long snappers are, are tenured guys. They're older guys because – it is such a niche, you know, position. Yeah, and it's a really skill a skill. Po- it's a skill position. And Trevor Maddich had this. A skill position. Yeah, Trevor Maddich had that job as well too, and he played other positions as well. But uh, you know, he was he he was very good at it, and I'm sure that you know Mulebach was very good at it as well too. But sorry, Dan, happy birthday. I would You're think out. the backup long snapper right now has great incentive. Going, this guy was a crowd favorite for 17 years, and they cut him on his birthday. Hmm. You bet I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay on this roster. All right. Speaking of birthdays, again, Liz Cambage's birthday was yesterday. So, they're happy birthday to Liz as we send you the break. When we come back, Chris Bazio is going to join us. We talk line drives up the middle and uh, all kinds of other stuff as well with the former pitcher and the former pitching coach, Chris Bazio, coming up next. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, Scott Spritzer is going to join us uh, next hour as we start talking NFL preseason week number two. Talk about what the favorites did in week number one and uh, the point spreads a little bit higher in week two. I thought that was kind of interesting. If you remember last week we talked to Scott, we noticed all, you know, this always happens as well, too, that you have the point spreads are three points or less. And I think we counted there's only two games uh, of that uh, variety that were more. Than, uh, than three points last week. This week, there's like uh, seven games that have numbers uh, of five points or higher, which is a little bit strange in the preseason. Well, but people are trying to figure out right now, is week two equivalent to week there three before? Is right. it this or that? Because with the three preseason games. So right now it's a guessing game all the way around for everybody. Yeah. And what coaches are going to do stuff, what aren't. You know, some coaches might be hell-bent. All right, this is our last dress rehearsal. Like you said, yeah. then there's the bye week. So, mm-hmm. uh, right now it's, you know, throwing darts at a board and seeing what comes up. Yeah, that's the interesting part. So, we'll talk to Scott Spritzer about that. Rob Van Dam will be in the house next hour as well, too. So, hang tight for that. But right now we talk a little Major League Baseball. We're their good friend, the former pitcher, the author of a no-hitter back in the day. And, of course, Former pitching coach, has that World Series ring with the 2016 Cubs. He is Chris Bazio. What is up, my man? What's up, TC? How you guys doing? Good, good. Hey, now, uh, I got breaking news here for you, but I don't know if, are you still in Wisconsin? No, I'm not. Uh, but I'm still going to give you the breaking news because you can relate to what I'm talking about here, my friend. Okay, yeah. our good friends and, and great sponsors of the show, Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers, now in Appleton. Wow, that's big news. That is big news. Big news. Big news. College Avenue, my friend. College Avenue. I'll give you the exact address because I know how often you go back to Appleton. You were just there. Actually, our last conversation on the air when you were there. Do they have the new uh, Freddy's Brat? The new Freddy's Brat? The the menu is what the menu is, my friend. Well, so, I mean, in, in Wisconsin, don't you have brat, have to have brats on the menu? Not necessarily, <laughs> Boz. You want to you want to chime in on that one? No brats or fish fry. Come on. Well, <laughs> you got fish. I would say I, the majority of them have fish fries and brats. Yes. Yes. Th- this this is true. So next time you you uh, peruse over to Appleton, Boz, there it is. Get get your Freddies. Get your jalapeno. Uh, Pepper Jack Burger, the Chicago Dog, which, of course, as you know, I, I endorse. And uh, your frozen custard. I know you can always get for, uh, you know, go for a little key lime pie. Key lime pie concrete. There you go, boss. How you doing, anyway? I'm not getting anything out of you for food? Come on, man. What is wrong? 
Uh, you love food. Wait, wait a minute. You might like liquor more than food, though. I don't know. See? No, I'm not not much of a drinker. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, you know. And and in my old age, I'm I'm starting to eat like more like five meals a day than three good ones. Yeah, I know, man. I know. You got your Metamucil going and things of that nature, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I <laughs> got to wash your meal down with something. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> hey, man, you got to be regular. So... Let's talk a little bit about what we saw in the A's-White Sox game a couple days ago, and that is Chris Bassett taking a line drive to the face off of Brian Goodwin's bat, coming off at 100 miles per hour. We know that Bassett suffered a right cheek fracture, displaced tripod fracture, received stitches, two facial lacerations. The good thing was he never lost consciousness, but, man, it was it was hard to watch. And, and Boz... I talked about this yesterday, and, and I really want to get your thoughts on this. As a former pitcher, and then also a pitching coach as well, too, I mean, what does that do to the psyche of your guy, the pitcher who just went through that? And then I want to even in touch upon you know, maybe the rest of the staff who witnesses their teammate that, that goes through this. I mean, how shell-shocked are you if you're Chris Bassett for getting back on the mound next time around? Oh, it's it, it happened to all of us, whether it's a, a one-hopper or line drive. And I'm still scarred from a one-hopper. And you remember Emilito Smith, our, our large left-handed hidden first baseman at Cordova. Mm-hmm. He had a one-hopper, and I turned my head on, hit me in the back of my ear, and I, I was out. Mm. I was out. And that literally affected me the whole rest of my life. And what happens is the guys, instead of finishing – you know, with everything going forward, you start to get a lot of guys that recoil. Yep. And when you recoil, then you get arm injuries. And, you know, and then the, the coaches out there are the ones that are screaming at them, come on, you got to let it go. You know, let's go. Pick, pitch like you're pitching downhill. Well, you know, that kid's been hit three times in his career, and a lot of the coaches, they don't know the backgrounds on it, and it, it, it can scar you for your whole life. I've seen it happen <laughs> – I've lived it. I did not. I never got hit like Mr. Bassett did, but I, I saw Billy Swift get hit with the line drive off the head, and the ball go into stands. Mm-hmm. Most horrific right. thing I've ever seen in my life, you know. And uh, I was so I'm just glad he's okay, and I hope he comes out of it okay. Yeah. So as far as you know yourself, you talked about you know in, in practice back in high school, you know take, taking one off, uh, you know the shin or the leg. What was the the closest call for you in a major league game as well? And again, you're pitching back in those days, and even your home turf there, and I use the term loosely there in Seattle, where you're playing on a lot of these concrete, you know, astroturf things back in the day, where even th- those one hoppers came come scooting at you. Uh, you ever get one, you know, either to, to, to the knee or the shoulder or close calls that you just heard oh, that I, thing buzzing right by your ear? Two. Okay. Uh, there was a T-shirt day in Yankee Stadium, and Roberto Kelly was up with two outs, the guy on third base in the bottom of the ninth. They hit a line drive. I never saw it, and it squared me up right in my chest. Mm. And the ball hit me. Dropped to the ground. I picked it up through the first base, and, you know, we got a shutout. Well, I had that bruise on my chest for about two weeks. And if it was another foot up, it would have squared me up and probably broke my jaw in eight places, but it hit me in the chest. And another one was on that next road trip, if you could believe this. We go to Fenway Park, and Mike Greenwell, notorious for hitting the ball back up the middle, one hopper coming back to me, bad hop, bounces off my chin. I end up getting eight stitches. They take me out of the game. I come back. I don't pitch the next night, but Lou brought me back to pitch game one. I started game one and game three of the series with stitches in my chin. So, yes, I've been, been cut, wounded. I've had teeth knocked out. But, again, nothing in, in comparison to what you know some of these guys have gone through with the line drives off the head and you know, so, so nothing t- like that. I've been I've been very lucky. So your next start or the next time you took the mound, I mean, was there a little apprehension? Did you find yourself recoiling a little bit or just kind of flinching a little bit? Or I mean, how quickly? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And how long? Absolutely. And how and long does that take to to, to Dude, get it, out it of took, your system? It took about half the year. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. My, you know, 
in the day when I was healthy, I mean, I was 92, 94, 91 on a sinker, 90, 89, 91 on a cutter. And as my knees started giving out, I had to do different things. But the only thing I really had was we called it an ad fastball. And I could do it when I was healthy. But all these other things started to add knee pressure. You know, you're not – the hitters are starting to square you up a little bit better than they did when you were younger. You don't have the swing and miss stuff. And then I went from County Stadium, where I was a contact ground ball guy, to try to go to the kingdom, where you have to be a strikeout and a, a soft contact guy. So it was, it was hard for me at first getting to learn how to pitch in the American League West because it's completely different than the American League East. And we were back in the American League back then. You mentioned when you were pitching with Mike Greenwell and you said he's a guy that hit the ball up the middle a lot. When you're going over batters in a lineup, are you cognizant of that? Do you maybe pitch a little bit different to guys that you know hit it up the middle all the time so that doesn't happen to you? You know, yeah, absolutely. And the whole reason we got a no-hitter when I pitched against Boston was our defensive lineman. I mean, the righties, I put all the righties on the line and I threw them sinkers in. The lefties, I played the shortstop up the middle because they all tried to hit me up the middle and try to go the other way. Well, my sinker... It was a drop ball. It wasn't lateral. So every time they tried to go the other way, it was either at me or up the middle. And, you know, Ernie Riles, just like Mike Greenwell, like Mo Vaughn, like Ivan Calderon, like Andre Dawson, a lot of these guys love to get extended and go up the middle, especially their lefties over there. So we always played our, our shortstops up the middle. We took away a lot of hits and, and one last out of a game that uh, – Got us a no-hitter as a team. Chris Bazio joins us uh, talking about the unfortunate situation with Chris Bassett of the Oakland A's. And, you know, the A's came back and, and yesterday and said, well, his vision's normal. That's good. No other eye or head injuries, which is fantastic. But then I thought it was interesting that they, they come out in a press release and they, they say, he's going to be back better than ever. And I'm going, that's kind oh, of hard to now. say. You know, I mean, why, yeah. that's, why would you even say that? Because, again, just everything that we've talked about here already, it's like, no, it's, it's, he's probably not going to be back. This is going to be going through his head and through his psyche. It's going to affect him the rest of his life. Yeah. You, and I agree with you, TC. That's probably something they probably should have retracted, mm-hmm. if not at all. Those statements like that usually, you know, they're usually very guarded. They're word-wise, that one. A little surprising with the word that came out because there, there's going to be stuff that's going to come up, whether it's in his next start or a year from now or five years from now. It's, it's just stuff you just can't shake. Boz, I wanted to ask you this. I know it's, it's kind of a, a delicate or sensitive subject, you know, with uh, Jack Morris. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the story. I really don't want you to, to really comment too much on it, but I really want to ask you about your relationship, you know, with Jack Morris. I mean, he made the comment. He ended up losing his job or at least getting suspended for basically, you know, saying, uh, how do you pitch, uh, you know, Otani? And he says, be very, very careful. And he used it basically with an, an Asian accent. Uh, complaints came flying in with Bally Sports Chicago, and, and they made the decision to say, we're taking Jack Morris off of our broadcast. Jack issued this apology, and we played it yesterday. And I'm just going to read it this time here. And, you know, it said, well, folks, Shohei Otani is coming to the plate, and it's been brought to my attention that I sincerely apologize if I offended anybody, especially anybody in the Asian community, for what I said about pitching and being careful to Shohei Otani. I did not intend for any offensive thing, and I apologize if I did. I certainly respect and have the utmost respect for this guy, and don't blame I don't blame a pitcher for walking him because that's what he was saying. He goes, well, how do you, you know, how do you approach uh, Otani? And he goes, oh, be very, very careful. Of course, he said it, you know, with the trying to be funny, I guess. But a lot of people are questioning whether Jack Morris's apology is sincere. Do you know Jack Morris, and did it come across as sincere to you when you heard it? Yeah, it did. Hmm. I, you know, I, I got to know Jack really well along with him and Alan Trammell and. You know, the rest of the Hall of Famers there, you know, Mr. Kaline was a, just a treat meeting him and getting talking to him and, and being a teammate with Miguel Cabrera. But that's, it's sincere. It's unfortunate it happened, you know, and I think Jack would just like to move on like 
we all wish that right. we could. Right. Absolutely. All right. Do you find that in this day and age that, um, and obviously it's an emotional game and you're trying to fill all the time, whether you're the color commentator or the play-by-play guy or whatever, but it seems like right now you really have to be cognizant of every word you say, and it's almost like you have to filter yourself before you open your mouth. TC certainly knows this doing the Aces basketball games and that because it is a completely different world than it was 20, 30 years ago, and, uh, you know, Anything that's out there now, as soon as it happens with social media, you're going to be called on it immediately. Yeah, it, that's just the day and age we're in. Um, we never had this stuff, you know, when we were players coming up in the 70s and the 80s, and now it's, it's more prevalent than ever. And you just got to be very, very careful, very guarded, and uh, just try to be aware of your surroundings and, and what you're saying. Chris Bosio joins us. Boz, let's talk a little bit about uh, the spin rate thing. And I don't know where you stand on this because, you know, if you're an old school guy, you're saying, you know, we never use the term spin rate. But now we're seeing, you know, so much analytics. And I know we've touched upon this, you know, this topic before. And, you know, there are pitchers out there that maybe be throwing like 90 or 91 miles per hour. But they have jobs right now in Major League Baseball because – the analytics guys have said, "Hey, this guy has got great, uh, you know, spin rate, and its spin rate really kind of makes it look like the guy's throwing more like ninety-seven or ninety-eight. Uh, you know, can look like seven or eight miles an hour. Go into kind of detail because you know when you were pitching coach specifically there with the Cubs, that was kind of like right in the beginning or the middle of the whole analytics talk and everything." How much credence do you put into all of this? And basically, is it just is the game is the game, and but just the terminology has changed over the years. You know, it's interesting because I look at it this way: we and we were we were ahead of a lot of teams when it came to this back in 2012 and 13. When you know I was hired with the Cubs, Theo said that we were going to bring you know next step terminology and technology to the Cubs, and that's how we're going to win. And we did. We went for power throwers that threw fastball, curveball. If you remember our staff, that's all our guys threw. We tried to stay away from sliders, and if you had a slider, it had to be an absolute swing and miss slider like Jake Arrieta or a Carlos Marmol when we were able to get him 25 saves and trade him. You know, there was a, there was a a solution that we came up with. And another thing that Theo was very big on was bringing over pitchers from the American League East, a la John Lester, a la John Lackey. His theory was if you can pitch in the American League East, you can pitch anywhere. And it was so true. Getting Chapman was the icing on the cake for us in 2016. No doubt. Talk a little bit about Jake Arrieta. I know you were very close with him and, of course, on that staff where he had probably his two best years of his career, winning the Cy Young, uh, you know, in, in 15 and 16. He was just, you know, phenomenal and probably, again, the rock of your starting staff. He really has struggled since he went to Philadelphia. Then he came back to play this year for the Cubs. It didn't work out. The Cubs ended up releasing him. And then uh, he found a job, I guess, with San Diego. And I say I guess because now it sounds like it's a minor league deal. But talk a little bit about Jake Arrieta and what has happened to him over the last few years. You know, watching him pitch, he's not even the same guy. He's with us. He created a lot of deception. He was cross crossfire. And I don't know if it stemmed from the bone surgery that he got with Philadelphia, but as he's come back after the bone chip surgery, he's much more of an inline guy, which can be uh, good and bad. Good for some, bad for some. And I don't think it fits Jake's personality the way he was being a power, what I called a power jumper. He wasn't really a glider, but he was this power jumper who, I mean, at six foot four, six foot five, you couldn't believe how athletic he was going crossfire, being able to front door or back door two seamers or cutters at everything over 86 miles an hour. Well, He's lost some arm speed. He's lost that deception 
And with that, you lose confidence. I, I actually sent him a text two days ago when I found out he was going to be starting with San Diego. I was like, dude, get back to where you were. It'll be like riding a bike. Trust it. And then I saw that he tweaked his hamstring a little bit. Right. But, you know, I, I think Jake needs to get back over to the third base side, getting crossfire. He's, he's at that point right now as a veteran pitcher later in your career where you have to try everything. And, Everything. And he went, th- uh, so he had his debut with the Padres yesterday, th- uh, three and a third, gave up five earned runs, seven hits, three strikeouts and a walk. So, yeah, his, his struggles continue. It's, uh, yeah. It's too He's bad. probably going to get put on the DL, but knowing Jake, mm-hmm. he'll try to power through that mm-hmm. hamstring and then do something else stupid, mm-hmm. like injure his, his shoulder or his elbow, which mm-hmm. not going to be good for a guy trying to recover some of that glory. Yeah. All right, boss. We appreciate the the time as always, man. Let's uh, get you back on next week and talk a little uh, talk of some of these pennant races. We've hit the three quarter pole in the old horse racing term, where we are three quarters of the way through the season now. Exactly a quarter of the season left. So, in other words, they're I, about to start coming down the stretch. Oh, that's right. Absolutely. Go to the whip. Right, boss. Did Kansas City beat Houston today? Well, here's what happened, my friend. The breaking news is it was they were down. The Astros were down three-one. They came up with uh, two runs, uh, I believe, in the top of the eighth. Three-three went to extras. We go to softball, my friend, and the Astros score three runs in the top of the tenth to take a six-three lead. Kansas City batting in the bottom of the tenth inning. Love the softball rules. Love you, it. You do, don't you? Yeah. yeah right. There we go. And so, uh, yeah, that's where we're at right now. I, you know, you know me. I'm a big fan of of girls softball. And again, yeah. let's go. All right, brother. I'll let you go. Uh, appreciate you. Be good. Eat well. Stay healthy. Take care of that arm. How's that? All right, you guys. Take care. There he is, Chris Bazio, author of a no no. Back in the day with the Mariners, a great major league baseball career, and then a fine pitching coach as well. And of course, has that ring with the Chicago Cubs from 2016 as the pitching coach. Surprised you didn't throw in there and enjoy your Metamucil. Yeah. You know, I mean. He actually took that better than I thought he would. Yeah. I I, I agree. (laughs) You know. How are you supposed to take Metamucil anyway? I have no idea. Yeah. Let's let's make sure we don't have to deal with that, huh? I. As I say that after eating my Chicago dog today with mustard and grilled onions. And my French fries from Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers. All right, we talk football next hour and a little wrestling with RVD. Scott Spritzer, don't you dare go anywhere.